President Tennant, uh, faculty, students, staff, I bring you greetings from Dr. Reverend Dr. Timothy Bias, who is the new head of the Board of Discipleship or Discipleship Ministries, and all of us at the Upper Room. It's a real joy uh, to be with you here again, and to come at this time, one of my, uh, wasn't like the primary goal of my life, but one of my hopes was someday I would get to preach a sermon series that Ellsworth Callis had preached in, and so this is a, a high moment for me, uh, because he has been one of my mentors and friends over the years. You might find the scripture passage a bit odd this morning. Why that text and why that pericope? Well, if you know our story, this was the very first sermon that Charles Wesley preached. He had been ordained a deacon in Oxford. He became an elder in London. A few days later, secretary to the Indian Affairs and General Oglethorpe, he was on the boat on the way to America and preached this sermon on his boat. On the boat, uh, we know it was his because it was written in his handwriting. What we didn't know is that it was John Wesley's sermon that Charles had copied because on the back of the sermon he wrote in shorthand, this is my brother's sermon. And in 1816, when they uh, published Charles Wesley's sermons, this was the first in the volume, it was uh, preached in October of 1735 on the way to America, uh, they just didn't know shorthand. But the intensity of this sermon and the vision of pressing forward into the high calling we have in Christ. Uh, my deep appreciation for the hymns that we've sung, Spirit of Faith, Come Down. If you've read Charles Wesley's journal, you know that frequently he'll talk about being in a society meeting and the spirit of faith comes down, but also the spirit of prayer. Faith and prayer are not dissimilar in Charles's theology. All we have is a gift. We are here today because Jesus prays for us. How did Charles Wesley teach a nation to pray? Well, if you know his story, and part of the reason I started with this sermon is that when you think about the Wesley brothers, uh, some of you may remember Donald Joy, a beloved professor here at Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, Don used to say that in the Wesleys, you have the closest incarnation of the wholeness of the human psyche and thinking since the early church. You know, the early church, the apostles got together to pray, to discern what do we do about the Gentiles, how do, what is God calling us to do, what happens when they start speaking in tongues and, and uh, they're not circumcised and all those things. Well, it was the counsel of more than one. Through the rest of church history, almost every major Protestant denomination goes back to a single leader, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Zwingli, or others. But in John and Charles Wesley, you get the family spirituality, and what Don Joy and I would agree on is John Wesley's left brain, right hand, administrative, uh, task-oriented, mission-oriented spirituality, complemented by Charles Wesley's right brain, left hand. He would have written left-handed if his mother would have let him. And uh, the, the poet, the pastor, the parent, 
And the two together discerned and did the will of God. They came out of a family. If you remember the Wesley family, they would have prayed the Church of England prayers morning and evening, not only because their father was a pastor, but their mother was a pietist. She practiced family prayer. She taught her children to pray. And she prayed herself. And that, as you look at our understanding of the means of grace, prayer, private, family, and public. That kind of Puritan spirituality that says, whatever Jesus did as an individual, we should do. But whatever an individual does, if you're in a family, that's what families do at home. They practice the faith. They pray together. And then when we gather together, having had a prayer life of our own and a prayer life in a family, we bring that oxygen and energy and spiritual power to worship the living God. Rather than coming oxygen-deprived, struggling, having not prayed, that's our origin. And John and Charles Wesley shared that DNA Share those practices. And so when it comes to understanding how the people called Methodists learn to pray, you can't really separate John and Charles. They have little personality quirks and they have differences of temperament. But when it comes to the basic core of spiritual practice, they are one. And so it's not inappropriate to think about what they did together. Those of you who are a part of this worshiping community who may not have a Methodist background, let me just remind you uh, that the Wesleys defined a Methodist in their complete dictionary of the English language. While John said he was the man of one book, they published over 400 books together, John and Charles. Um, And in their complete dictionary of the English language in 1753, they defined a Methodist as one who attempts to live by the method laid down in the Bible. We are biblical Christians. That's the reason people from high church can find a home and low church can find a home and Baptists or Lutherans or whatever. Uh, As we stay close to Scripture and close to Christ, we are home and we are family. But we have this Wesleyan urgency because of our theology of sanctifying grace, that there is more, that there can be more, and that I want more because I want all of the life of God. I want all that God has for me because as I am more and more in Christ and Christ is more and more in me, the world sees Jesus because of the life of God in the people of God. So what is prayer? Let me uh, read a definition of prayer uh, from the Wesleys. Prayer is lifting up of the heart to God. Prayer is lifting up the heart to God. All words of prayer without this, lifting up your heart, are mere hypocrisy. See that if it be your one design to commune with God, to lift up your heart to Him, to pour out your soul before Him, any temporal view, any motive, whatever, 
on this side of eternity any design but promoting the glory of God and making the happiness and making happiness of men for God's sake makes every action, no matter how fair it appears, an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty strong language. Prayer is offering your heart to God, communing with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to do my prayers as magic. Not out of love, but out of an attempt. You know, magic is the attempt of the human to manipulate the deity. Whether it's abracadabra, magic potions, or in Jesus' name, if I'm trying to manipulate God to get a blessing or to do something that I want done, I'm really, and, and it's okay to pray that way. It's, just, it's good, it's just not good enough. Except John and Charles would say it's an abomination, so I guess I should be a little more direct than that, shouldn't I? Prayer is placing your truest, deepest self in the presence of God, communing with God, with or without words. And when you offer your deepest self to God in prayer, something deep happens inside of us, with or without words. And when our desire is to be in God and let God breathe life into us, we are praying. In fact, at the end of the sermon, just in case you're inclined to doze off, uh, I'll say that our life is our prayer. That your life is your prayer. The way you treat each other in the library, the way you do homework together, the way you prepare for exams is part of our life in God. And I believe part of our prayer. How important is prayer? In John Wesley's sermon on the wilderness state, he says, talking about individual prayer, which is probably the most difficult thing to do while you're a seminarian, is to keep your prayer life healthy? Well, maybe not here, but other places, there are rarely any encouragements to the spiritual life. It's all about the head, very little about the heart. And in this sermon on the wilderness state, John Wesley says, perhaps no sin of omission more frequently occasions the wilderness state than the neglect of private prayer. The want whereof cannot be supplied by any other ordinance. There's nothing else you can do that will take the place of prayer in your life. Nothing can be more plain than the life of God in the soul does not continue, much less increase, unless we use all opportunities of communion with God and pouring out our hearts before Him. If therefore we are negligent in this, that life will surely decay. And if we long for and frequently practice prayer, our life in God increases. So how do you teach people to pray? How did Charles teach a nation to pray? Well, he did it basically in three ways. He did it as a pastor, a poet, and a parent. As a pastor, he used the book of prayer. If you'll remember, the very first book published by John Wesley and Charles during the Holy Club days were a book, was a book of prayers for every day of the week. Why did they publish that book? This was before their evangelical experience. This is in the 1735, if I remember 
correctly, two, oh no, it'd be 1732 or three. They published it because they had written a manuscript. Dr. Harper has, did his PhD dissertation on that. He'd written extracts of prayers, organized them around theological virtues, love, hope, faith, and so on. But they passed it around in the Holy Club, and everybody wanted it. They kept borrowing it to copy their own, and finally he just gave up and published it because the Holy Club small groups were growing throughout Oxford. Prayers for every day of the week. Methodism was born in prayer, it lives in prayer, and it will die without prayer. And in between living and dying, we struggle. Prayers for every day of the week was the first publication. Then, after his evangelical experience, because John taught every traveling lay speaker to meet with people house to house to encourage family prayer, Charles Wesley published his collection of prayers for families in 1745. Prayers for children in 1772. They were constantly creating resources to help families pray because if moms and dads pray with their kids, some of you have the benefit of that and others of us struggle. I've confessed to some of you before when I preached in this chapel, Marilee and I have started and stopped family prayer over 50 times and we've only been married 43 years because it's not normal. I grew up in a family that was Christian. She grew up in a family that was Christian. But we never practiced family prayer, and it still feels abnormal even at this point. All it takes is for Marilee to non-verbally communicate that maybe she might not be interested, and I back off. And yet I know she wants me to. When we talk about it and we're healthy, we both want Would you, as a part of your theological formation in the Wesleyan tradition, Start family prayer if you don't have it. What's abnormal for me is now normal for my children because Marilee and I, though we started and stopped, created a new normal. In a generation, we can change the church. E. Stanley Jones said, if there's only one thing I could do for Christendom, it would be to help people pray. It is that central. The life of God in our soul cannot survive without it. Now, the good news is, that's the Spirit's work. All we have to do is be receptive and cooperative. God in you wants to pray. The Spirit wants to help us pray. With sighs sometimes too deep for words. So don't feel this as obligation. Feel it as invitation. Remember your life, your ability to press on, to live in more of God and more of God to live in you so that your ministry is vital and productive is directly related, according to the Wesleys, to your life of prayer. It's that important. I won't, I'll just say this out loud, but I always admired uh, Asbury Theological Seminary because my understanding was that faculty members actually prayed or students prayed before classes started. That there were prayer rooms, according to Jessica, almost all over the campus. Uh, I just want to say to you, uh, we need to teach our nation to pray. I mean really pray, not say words, but give our hearts to God and experience God's heart because all words without that are an abomination. That's very strong language. 
But it's good news because that's what Jesus is doing. Right now, Jesus is praying for us. And we can participate in Jesus' life of prayer. It's interesting that Charles Wesley's final publication, three years before he died in 1785, were prayers for condemned malefactors, people who were in federal penitentiaries facing death. Do you help your people, where you're a student pastor, pray as a family? Pray for those in prison? We still incarcerate more people in this nation than any other nation in the world. Lord, teach us to pray. Not only as a pastor, but I mentioned already, both John and Charles, if you look in their diaries and journals, you'll see over and over again their references to the spirit of prayer coming. Do you expect the spirit of prayer to come upon your small group? Or your congregation? Or your worship team? Or your praise band? Do you teach them that that's possible? Spirit of faith come down, spirit of prayer come down. Enable me to give my heart to God and to commune with God. They did it as a poet. Some of you know the 1780 large hymnal. 525 hymns, 98 of them directly related to prayer. Almost 20% of the hymnal helped people pray. Now that becomes even more significant when you remember that in the early Methodist days, many of the folks couldn't read and write. Didn't mean they were stupid. They could still own a business. They could still make a legal mark. Uh, and I've shared this with some of you, but it, uh, there's a story in John Smythe's diary, which I read when I was there studying. And they're walking along and there's a little boy carrying two buckets of coal and he's singing a Charles Wesley hymn. This is in Ireland. So they, as they walk past him, they hear this, and they say, Oh, laddie, are you a Methodist? And he drops the buckets, jumps back, and says, Oh, no, sir, the priest says they're from the devil. They'll destroy your soul. Really? Well, where did you learn that? Well, from the miners, sir, where I get the coal. I, you see, my, my dad's dead. And I buy the coal and take it to the rich people's home, and they pay me for it. Well, we'll give you a penny for every song you can sing. We're walking the same direction. He's saying nine Charles Wesley hymns. When he came to know who God was, that there was a Holy Spirit that would witness with the atoning blood of Christ and say to him, you are a child of God. Where did he get his theology? He got it from the music. We need to sing hymns that tell the truth, the whole truth. Methodism, born in prayer, lives in prayer, grounded in prayer. And as a parent, Charles Wesley, in his journal, which we can now read, thanks to the people who in 2007 published it, it was published once badly in the 19th century, didn't have all of, any of the shorthand passages, but it's available now. And that's the reason the Charles Wesley Society exists, actually, as some of us back in the 80s said, John's well-known, but Charles is completely or very rarely known and you don't know Methodism unless you know the synergy of the right brain, left brain brothers. Called of God, living in the Spirit, John Wesley, the, the kind of uh, 
little more administrative, but also a little more mystical and a little more nonconformist, and Charles a little more ordered in his thought, deep in his poetry, and a little more committed to the church, well, a lot more committed to the Church of England. But together they wove the fabric of our spirituality. Charles writes hymns and prayers for his children cutting teeth. He writes hymns and prayers for his children at play. He writes hymns and prayers when he baby, buries five of their babies of the eight born. There's no part of life that we can't pray and sing thanks to the gift of a poet and a parent. So again, I say to you, those of you who are parents, one of the most important things you'll do, because if you can help your children pray, you can help your parishioners' children pray. And if our children and our families pray, your church, no matter how mediocre you are as a preacher, has a really good chance of doing some good. Because when we pray, when we offer our heart to God, God offers God's heart to us. Well, back to the text. I don't count what I've inherited as that important because I'm pressing forward to the high calling of who Christ is. I do that because God has given me the Spirit, the grace. You know, grace gives us both the desire and the ability. Do you want more? And if you don't want more, pray that you would want more. Because that's a prayer that God will honor. That's what Jesus wants for us. I want to leave you with this final quote and then the conclusion. It's from Charles Wesley's hymn. How happy, gracious Lord, are we, divinely drawn to follow Thee, whose hours divided are. He's looking at Jesus' life, how Jesus' hours were divided, and so he sings it this way. Divided betwixt the mount and multitude, the mount of prayer and the multitude of ministry. Our day is spent in doing good, our night in praise and prayer. Jesus was a person of prayer. You are a person of prayer. We are a people of prayer. And the church will thrive as we live the life of Christ, and pray with all our hearts in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.